Um, we're continuing to explore um, the ordinary Christian life, what you might call the extraordinary Christian life. What are these sort of components of our life together with Jesus um, that, that make up our life with Him? And we're spending several weeks exploring Scripture. We know that it's a huge part of what happens in churches. Uh, you may be super familiar with the Bible, and it's really ordinary for you to hear someone talk about the Bible or read it. Um, you may think that all this is weird, and we've had several songs about someone's blood getting splashed on you, um, which is, if you're not used to church, it's always a little strange. Um, okay, so Jesus' blood comes on me and makes me clean. Last I checked, when someone's blood gets on me, that makes me the opposite of clean. Um, but whether you're familiar with Scripture or not, you probably know that it's central to the Christian life, and so we're spending some time exploring it together. This morning we're going to be in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 4. The Gospels are the beginning of the New Testament, these stories and accounts of Jesus' life, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Um, if you're turning there as you do so, uh, this week I was remembering, because um, I heard it on a podcast, reminded of this crazy rule that happens in professional hockey in the NHL. Um, it's only, I think, only in the NHL that they do this, but they have a, uh, a provision in the National Hockey League called the E-Bug. And what the E-Bug is, is an emergency backup goalie. So at every arena that plays professional hockey, they have to have E-Bugs, emergency backup goalies. Which is, so if you're in Toronto, if you're in Winnipeg, if you're in Buffalo, if you're in Nashville, if you're in Raleigh, you have to have someone in the arena that can play goalie if both the goalies on one team happen to get injured, okay? So um, that means that there's just a guy sitting in the arena that at some point may have to go from eating a hot dog to playing goalie. And uh, this, this was big news a few years ago. A 36-year-old guy named Scott Foster, who you can't make this stuff up, is truly an accountant. That is his job. Um, he was 36 years old. He had played hockey in college but he was serving as the e-bug in Chicago that night as the Chicago Blackhawks took on the Winnipeg Jets. One of their goalies got hurt in a pregame warm-up. One of the goalies got hurt at the end of the, se the second period. Ironically, it was that goalie's debut appearance in the NHL, and it was completely overshadowed as 36-year-old Chicago accountant Scott Foster was called down from the press box to suit up, and he played goalie for the Chicago Blackhawks he stopped all seven shots in his appearance, and the Blackhawks won 6-2. Okay. He had worked all day as an accountant, and then the next day went back to work as an accountant. My understanding is he was not paid. Um, when I think about that, I, I, it's, it's a cool story. It's amazing to think that that, that happened to him. He was like, the, he was like the, the most valuable player of the game. But what I think about when I hear that is all the other games that all these e-bugs go to, and they just go after work as a real estate agent or a doctor or accountant, and then they sit there and they never play, and they never think they're going to play until they're called on in this critical moment of truth. And so in our passage this morning, what is happening with Jesus is he is facing a critical moment like this. And how do these e-bugs stay prepared? How do they stay in a mental framework to think that I could play tonight? And how did Jesus face this moment where he is tempted by Satan 
And in fact, this is the, the moment at which all other human beings have failed up to this point. Everyone failed in their temptation with Satan, and yet Jesus shows up, and this is what happens. Luke 4, starting in verse 1. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those 40 days, and when they were ended, he was hungry, you could say. It's a bit of an understatement. The devil said to him, if you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, it is written, Man shall not live by bread alone. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to him, To you I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered him, It is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and Him only shall you serve. And Satan took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, Satan knows some Bible too, He will command His angels concerning you to guard you, and on their hands they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, It is said, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. That's the word of our God. Let's pray and ask his blessing on it. Oh Lord, I thank you um, for the sisters and brothers gathered this morning for the opportunity to be in your presence. For Lord, we know that when we show up together around your word, that you are with us, that you are calling us to encounter you. And so Lord, um, we pray that you would remove the things from our spirit, from our thoughts, from our bodies, which might prevent us from showing up to this encounter with you in your word and throughout the rest of the service. Lord Jesus, would you show us how you lived in the scripture? that we might follow you. We pray, Lord Jesus, in your name. Amen. So, the point of all these talks really is, that, is, is one. It's very simple. And it's that Scripture is an encounter with God. When we come to the Bible and we enter into it by faith, we encounter a God who is alive and who made you and who made everything that exists. Simply to come to Scripture is to acknowledge that God is alive. And that he meets us in it. And this encounter with God, what we're going to be looking at this morning, is a meditation. Scripture is a meditation. This encounter with God in Scripture is supposed to take your entire life. It is designed for meditation. Uh, i got a brother in here, Dr. Palmer Robertson, and he's seen more days than most of us, and he still is meditating upon the Scripture, and it's still doing its work. Isn't it right, Dr. Robertson? Scripture's still working on him. Scripture is a flower that blossoms 
in certain seasons over many years of your life. And the way that God encounters us in Scripture is like good barbecue. You ever had good barbecue? Maybe you've been down to Lexington, got some of that whole hog barbecue. Whether it's brisket or it's pulled pork, there are only two words that matter when it comes to cooking good barbecue. My understanding is I don't cook good barbecue, but is that it's got to be slow and low. You keep the temperature low when you're smoking barbecue and you cook it for a long time because when barbecue is allowed to rise to a certain temperature slowly, there's actually parts of the meat that melt. Like some fatty parts of the meat actually melt. And that's how you end up with that tender, juicy barbecue. Slow and low. The scripture is intended to be the same, that we enter into it slow and low. And the point this morning, everyone that knows it's rainy, so everyone's a little bit checked out, God wants you to be tender and juicy, okay? (laughs) I was going to save that for later, but we'll go ahead and get it in there so we can get dialed in. And what I want to do as we meditate on Jesus in this passage is to look how tender and juicy Jesus is from his interaction and his meditation on Scripture by looking at his temptation. So this passage is often called the temptation of Christ. There's lots of famous paintings about it. But you might think, well, Jesus didn't sin, so how is this a temptation for him at all? What is so tempting about what Satan does with Jesus here? This encounter that Jesus had with Satan was not easy for him, but it was actually excruciating for Jesus for several reasons. One, he was emaciated from not eating food for 40 days. We gloss over things in the Bible all the time and just accept them, but you're like, he didn't eat or ate extremely minimally for 40 days. I can't skip like breakfast and then be counted on to make a good decision at 11 a.m. I know people that intermittent fast, and I'm like, you don't want me intermittently fasting in your life. But he was also being tempted the way that the, that the, the grammar works. It shows that he was being tempted these entire 40 days by Satan continually. He was wearing him down. Simply, this is the most vulnerable and in danger that Jesus could have been emaciated, weak, and even though Jesus did not have a sin nature, he didn't long for evil the way that we often do, everything that Satan offers him are things that he wants and desires greatly because they actually are his by right. He first offers him, he says, if you're the son of God, why are you suffering? If you're the Son of God, you can easily solve this problem. And of course, he, he could, right? Jesus later makes, he feeds 5,000 out of a small amount. You can turn this stone into bread. Jesus wanted to eat. His body longed, that's a good physical longing. He was an actual human being. He chose to make himself dependent on food, and clearly he could do it. Nothing, probably nothing he wanted more than to eat. Also, then Satan takes him up and shows him all the kingdoms of this world and says, in an interesting turn of phrase, that he actually owns all of them and he can give them to whoever he wants. And the funny thing is he's offering Jesus the kingdoms of the the earth. Jesus made all the kingdoms of the earth. He's responsible for creating all these things. And he is the rightful king. 
over all of them. Of course, He wants to have the nations. He loves them. And of course, He wanted to be acknowledged. He takes, them up to the, takes Jesus up to the pinnacle of the temple, this huge building in Jerusalem, and says, throw yourself down and the angels will make a big show. And of course, Jesus wants to be acknowledged as the one that angels serve because He made them too. These are rightly His things because He is God. But what does, he, what does He do? How does He respond? Because then we're going to look at what He says. Satan tries to use Scripture on Him. He offers Him things that He wants. He meets Him at His most vulnerable moment. And what Jesus does instead is He continues to starve. He is denied. He denies not just the authority over the kingdoms, He denies authority even over His own body. And later offers Himself to be mocked instead of glorified. And then later, the leaders of that temple where Satan had taken Him up on, um, they they do a little bit more than striking His foot against a stone. The reason why Jesus was able to respond this way is because He was prepared to encounter evil. We all encounter evil as well. Not at the magnitude that Jesus had encountered evil. But God also invites us on a path of Jesus where we will encounter evil. And the reason why Jesus is able to encounter Satan and evil and to do what no human being had done in resisting those temptations is because he had been meditating on God his whole life. He was in his early 30s, and his entire life he had been allowing himself to encounter God in Scripture by meditating on it. And he didn't do that, by the way, by brewing a fresh cup of coffee and getting his leather-bound study Bible out, you know, in the quiet of the morning. He did that by hearing the word read in the synagogue. Someone would take the scroll, they would read the Word, and that's how you got it. People didn't have books. And he recited it with his parents as a child. What Jesus did is he distracted himself with the Word for his whole life and allowed it to enter into parts of him and to melt him, make him tender and juicy. So when this moment came, when he was at his most weak and vulnerable, out of him came a fountain of Scripture because of his life of meditation. So when we look at what he says in response, he responds with the Scripture. And what I think is beautiful about when you see Jesus use Scripture, it's a beautiful thing because you know that how he's using Scripture is right. And isn't that sound good? Like, even I'm, you're you're listening to me right now, and some of y'all really like me, but guaranteed everybody in here is like, is he actually saying what it says? Or is he putting his own spin on it, right? We have a hard time trusting when other people use the Scripture. And for good reason often. But when Jesus uses Scripture, we know that it's right. So what does he say? What does he say? In response to the temptation for the bread, he quotes Deuteronomy. Man does not live by bread alone. He's saying, yes, I need food, but my soul needs God. In the response to the, to the offer of the kingdoms, he quotes Deuteronomy 6. 
You shall worship the Lord your God and Him only shall you serve. He says, yes, I want to be king over the universe, but I'm worshiping and serving my Father. And then Satan quotes Psalm 91 at him, which reminds me of a, of a great Kendrick Lamar moment in his track, Mama. He says, they say if you're scared, go to church. But remember, he knows the Bible too. Satan knows the Bible too. Satan quotes Psalm 91 at him, and then Jesus responds with Deuteronomy. Yes, angels obey me, but I'm here to trust God, not test God. It's funny, it's like he's rebuking Satan. You're not supposed to put God to the test. What Jesus is showing is that he has such a full life with God as a result of his meditation on Scripture that he's offering the way of life to Satan. He's offering (laughs) Satan the way to respond because Jesus is the Word. He is the incarnation of stuff like Psalm 119, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. And when his encounter with evil came, Jesus rejected every way that did not lead to the cross. Because that was God's desire for him. He had encountered God so deeply that at his most vulnerable moment, he continued to follow God. When his encounter with evil came, God's word in him oozed out. Um, I was reminded of this uh, last year my kids were doing swim team and after a swim meet, they have pizza and there's a line of pizza and it's, a, it's like the swim meets go super late. And so it's like this is like 10 p.m. pizza for a seven-year-old. And they get in line and it's a, there's a lot of jockeying about position in the line. And my, my daughter was in line and um, a kid came and said, uh, hey, can I cut? He was trying to get in front of her in the line because she, being an enterprising child of mine, was near the front of the line. And she looked at him and she said, anyone who wants to be first must be the very last. <laughs> and the servant of all. In her moment of conflict, the word, it came up from within her. Um, it was in there. And it was in there with Jesus. Um, this was so powerful to me. There was a woman, uh, I have a friend named Jason who's a church planter, and uh, his wife, Kara, um, a few, this has been a number of years ago, probably about 10 years ago now. She, um, they were moving, and she was like, you know, I've never like done scripture memorization, and I probably should do that. And so she spent like a year doing all this scripture memorization. And at the end of that year, she was diagnosed uh, with cancer, and it was an awful um, journey with her ultimately leading uh, to her death. But what happened is she blogged throughout this time, and all this scripture that she had meditated on, and put, it just oozed out of her in this moment. It, came, it, it blossomed these beautiful flowers that encouraged and, and, and drew people to Jesus because it was in there. Because she had meditated on it. So, the question, I guess, for us is, have you ever meditated? Because if you grew up in church or you've been in church a long time, I know what's happening right now, which is you're like, my Bible reading plan sucks, and I'm not good at this. Or like, yes, of course, I'm amazing at this. Um, but most of us are like, now I'm going to walk away feeling like I am not good at this. I don't know how. 
But the reality is that we all know how to meditate. Um, maybe you've done some kind of mindfulness meditation, but everyone in here knows how to meditate. Because if you've ever scrolled through the posts of somebody that you like, or secretly like, um, or are drawn to in some way, and scrolled through and dreamed about being with them, or just spending the day with them, then you've meditated. If you've constantly checked your phone to see if someone has texted you, then you have meditated. Um, if you've constantly checked your child's location to make sure that they're where you expect them to be, then you have meditated. Honestly, if you've ever checked your test scores, your swim times, if you've ever kept up with the NFL or NBA draft and dreamed about what it means that Baker Mayfield now plays for your Carolina Panthers, right? Kept up on injuries and trade rumors, then you've meditated. Because meditation is allowing yourself to become distracted by something that's lovely to you. You have all allowed, we have all allowed ourselves to become distracted by something lovely. And that's what Jesus invites us into with the Word. Because you don't master Scripture. It masters you. And we take a long time to master, my friends. You can't master or control a God who is alive. You offer yourself to Him again and again and allow yourself to become distracted by Him. Because again, there's parts of you that only melt slow and low. And God wants you to be tender and juicy. The Word is meditation literature. And what happens to us is that the Word only comes alive or finds resonance with us at certain points of our life. It will mean something to you as a child. It will mean something else to you as a young adult. Something else to you if you have children. Someone else to you as you grow older. The same Word, God is active in it. You may have heard, if you've seen the new season of Stranger Things, there is a great scene with a Kate Bush song in it um, called Running Up That Hill. Um, deal with God. That song came out in 1985. Okay? I was one years old in 1985. Today, it is number four in the United States on the Billboard charts. It is number one in the UK, and it's a great song, by the way. I'm just like, thank you that Kate Bush is getting some recognition from like millennials and Gen Z folk. It, was, it was the, took the longest amount of time ever in Britain for a song to reach number one. 37 years. It took 37 years for running up that hill to find its full resonance with people. Because sometimes it just takes a long time. Like, I'm just now realizing in the past year that I have a self that is beneath my feelings and emotions and thoughts. That there's a place that I can go to be with God that's not dependent on what I'm thinking and feeling, but He meets me. That God lives in me by the Spirit and that I can actually be with Him regardless of what I'm thinking and feeling. When we come to God in the Scripture, He meets us there. And, and part of the beauty of this, and this is where we'll end, is that if God meets you over a lifetime in the Scripture through meditation, that means that your best days are always ahead of you in the Word. Maybe the, the Word has been a hard place for you. It's been used against you. Maybe it's just been to a place where you've gone to it and you've said, I've never gotten anything here. God always 
invites you to something better because he is there. And this, this is what I want us to leave on. Um, my favorite city is Savannah. Savannah, Georgia. It's a beautiful place. I would love to go there with you sometime. And it's a city that's built on squares. If you've never been there, that means that every other block, there is a small and beautiful park. And there's squares. There's like 20-something squares all over Savannah. You can't travel more than two blocks without hitting a park that's full of, like, maybe full of beautiful live oak trees or fountains or a statue or art of some way. And it was designed like that from the beginning. It was built in a way that not, was not designed for efficiency, but was designed for beauty. It was designed to be a place that you could only travel two blocks without being invited to stop and rest and linger and celebrate and party. If you've been to Savannah, you know it's about partying. And the question is, what if Jesus designed you the same way? That you're only supposed to go so far without stopping to rest and celebrate and meditate on something beautiful to allow yourself to be distracted by it. Jesus gives us Himself to meditate on. The beautiful One. The One who overcame the devil and overcame the enemy of death. Who delivered His emaciated body over to rescue us from the evil of death. And to walk through Him every other block of our life. Scripture is an encounter with God and it's a meditation. And here's some homework. The sermon is over. Okay. Some homework. Someone, some people told me they did the homework last week listening to the song. That's awesome. Thank you. Here's what I would invite you to do this week. Because really these talks, these meditations are not about giving you concepts about the Bible. They're inviting us into a way of approaching the Bible. So here's what I would like you to do if you can this week. You might want to write this down if you want. Is to sit down somewhere quiet with a copy of the Scripture and turn to Matthew 11, 28-30. It's the section where Jesus says, Come to Me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. There is nothing for you to master or figure out during this time. There's actually nothing for you to do. This is simply an opportunity to meet with God. He's the one who's accomplishing something. So you read the passage once. You're going to read it three times. After each time you read it, you allow for a moment of silence. One minute. At, during the second reading, as you read through, allow a word or a phrase to grab hold of you or get your attention. You don't have to figure out why. You don't have to figure out what it means. Actually, don't do that. Just allow it to happen. It's all God's Word. Allow it to grab hold of your attention and meditate on it as you read and during the moment of silence. And then the third time you read, with that word or phrase in mind, ask God, what do you want from me? What are you inviting me to? Are you being invited to change your life in some way? Are you being invited to see something differently? Being invited to inhabit a relationship differently? Being invited to forgive or not judge or accept God's forgiveness? Take that word with you as God continues to accomplish His word through you throughout the day. And then we'll meet you back here next week. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord Jesus, um, that you've done what we could not do in overcoming the evil one 
who plagues us, and overcoming death, which we feel is so inescapable, but you are raised from the dead. And Lord, we thank you that you show us how you enter into the word and you invite us to your word, the Bible, to meet with us, to change us slowly from the inside out, to be with you. So help us to stop, Lord Jesus, along the way, to rest in you, to allow ourselves to be distracted by your beauty. We pray, Lord Jesus, in your name. Amen.